You're listening to the New Century Multiverse, Stone Spring Maidens. Chapter 3 Trios Gabriella, Day 27 of Inanna, Late Summer Fall, 1883. After the hand had been officially presented, the reporter was allowed into the room. She was a petite, sharp-eyed lady in white, Mistress Blanche Manford Stokes, who ushered everyone over to sit down at a table for quickfire cross-examining. Your maiden Krennic? Mistress, and it's Renwick. Sorry, you just dress like my daughter. <laughs> and how long have you, uh, how long have you worked for Athena Corps? Four sons. Hmm, started straight after university. Technically, I'm awaiting education. I'm on my way to being a doctor. I have a few more sons. But right now? I'm on hiatus to focus on the business of making replacement limbs. Oh, how fun. Hands, feet, anything that can drop off, eh? Or that a person might be born without a fully functioning version of- Athena Corps has been focusing on its military endeavors in the past, sons, though. So, one assumes you're making these for our troops. That's a more recent development, but yes. A lot of my job does entail crafting prostheses <laughs> for the military. Well, that should keep you in business forever. It's certainly rewarding helping our brothers and sisters in arms through their Soma Oneros. I feel it's a special honor to provide them with fine replacements for what fate has taken away. And may I speak with the boy? Corin nodded, glancing at his new fingers nervously. Terribly lucky, aren't you? Do you have sisters? They're at school. Very good. Keep their minds sharp. And how did you lose the hand, Poppet? A carriage-mobile accident. Last son. And I'm not a poppet anymore. It was his birthday. Put in Tess, the mother with the flaming red hair. Oh, so this is sort of a late present from Athena Corps. I wouldn't call it a present, said Jace. The table prickled with surprise that the father had spoken up. I mean, we bought it. We, we all worked very hard. We got second jobs. Corin's going through Soma Oneros, same as any soldier. The dark-haired mother, Amiel, looked across, her eyes wide, accompanied by a swift drawing of a slender finger across her throat, pointedly to Jace. <laughs> of course, said Blanche, her head on one side, regarding him quizzically. She was looking at all of their outfits, simple linens, no jewellery. But these new hands are very expensive. And I assume you received a generous government subsidy to help you along. That's true, but... So, there's several organizations to be credited here. Amiel, Tess, and Chase don't want Corin to go for many sons with only one usable hand. They all clearly love their son enough to work themselves to work very hard in order to make this a possibility. I'd say it's extremely fortunate that they only had to do so for a year, and I would very much like to see this happening more often. Can you make sure that gets put in there, please? Well, I'm glad I have the three of you here. Blanche did not look up from her notes. I'm doing a piece on dual female-male couples bringing in another woman to make ends meet, and it seems like you'd be the ideal candidate. I mean... It's really quite impressive. 
that you've bought your boy this gadget when you hail from the Panos district. I expect you're one of the only trios there. Am I right? We... we were all together before Corin was born. Tess began as Amiel leaned across and chipped in. I think we'll leave it at just the one interview, if you don't mind. The tone of this one is getting a little invasive. Oh, shame. Still, it's an accomplishment to have gotten this far without asking for a... Oh, a handout. (laughs) Her laugh was like the yipping of a small and territorial dog. Oh, a a handout. (laughs) Everybody waited. Oh. (laughs) And waited. Oh, these... Uh, these little bits and bobs on the carrying case. The reporter continued, poking at the treasure chest with her pen. Is that a standard design? I put those on. Do you do that for the soldiers, too? Most of them don't need it. Penny's cheeks were reddening. I wanted to make this one special. And did you sit there with glitter and glue on government work hours? Is this really necessary? Ganymede demanded. Blanche was equally as surprised that he had made himself heard as she had been about Jace. I just want to know the details, young squire. Are you her assistant? I'm here in a support role. Name and occupation? Ganymede Farrell, Athena Corps. Division? Armor. I'm guessing Mistress John Wick Renwick has been liaising with your department regarding the weaponization of these prostheses? That's definitely not what this interview was supposed to be about. Oh. Can we please get back to the matter at hand? Sorry. Oh, I'm just getting the skinny from our twittering little bluebird here. But I want to make sure we're understood. Penny continued. She was floundering. The program for assisting low-mean households with high-end medical care is one that I'd like to see flourish. The way I see it, nobody should be left without the capability to live as normal a life as possible if the technology is there. I don't want to see a hard focus on the military applications of my department in the paper. And for your information, no. I was up until two this morning, putting the finishing touches to the decorations. At home. There was a long, awkward silence, while Blanche huffed shirtily, glanced at her notes and scribbled down a few more things. Ganny very slowly pulled a chocolate bar from his jacket, unwrapped it with a crinkling sound, snapped off a segment and handed it to Corin before wolfing down the remainder. I apologize deeply for my outburst. Please continue. <laughs> Corin glanced at the chocolate in his left hand and reached across with his right, spearing the soft brown surface with the edge of a fingertip, messily, in his attempt to bear the wobbling treat to his mouth with only the new apparatus. After they had posed awkwardly for a pictograph, Penny took Amiel, Tess and Jace aside. I am so sorry to put you through that. The reporter was mandatory for the program. (laughs) That's all right. Jace replied with a guarded warmth. We can see you were up against a lot. I want to give you this, though. Penny said slipping her card to Amiel. You know you don't officially get technical support, but if something does break, or Corin loses a crystal, please, can you just let me know? I promise you, I will try my level best to source you apart, and I can repair it myself after hours. Why are you being so kind? Amiel asked. Not that we don't appreciate it, we're just... waiting for the other shoe to drop, I guess. Expecting to be served with an envelope and a surcharge we just can't pay right now. 
You won't be charged anymore. I just like this part of my job. A lot. At this, Tess stepped forward and gently put her arms around Penny. The other two followed suit, and Tess murmured, Thank you for giving him this chance. She had, by the time they let her go, saturated Penny's shoulder. The four of them watched Corin get a ball thrown at him by Ganny. He didn't catch it. In fact, his clumsy swipe sent the thing flying. But he shouted across all the same. Two of my fingers hooked around it that time. And that was enough. It would be fair to say Calendula Renwick's arrival tended to hijack conversation. She blew into the quiet outdoor seating area of the Melinda Plaza Saverseed Kefinary, like a procession of immaculately stylish cyclists, drawing everything to a halt as all were obliged to stop and wait and pay attention. Ganny's mechanical fingers glitched ever so slightly as he gripped the handle of his mug. The tiny energy crystals inset in his knuckles shone yellow with the effort of maintaining stability. Cal was clad in a smart, angular, ivory suit. From her ears dangled a pair of Rishana emeralds, atomically shifted into a vivid fuchsia, which matched her irises. And on her left hand, below her rolled-up sleeve, was an elegant interlaced glove, decorated with more of the same. The stones would have been found in deep caves, pretty when cut, but entirely inert. Functionless. However, the process of changing their hue on a microscopic level by the molecular artist Zoe Rishana was so insanely expensive that the glove alone was worth more than Ganny's entire arm. Calendula's almond eyes widened as she looked across the patterns of chocolate brown serpentine wood paving curving across oatmeal stone to the collection of ovular patio tables at Penny and her companion. Gammy, darling, it's so good to see you. She gushed, stalking across the plaza, snatching his left hand and planting a firm kiss upon it with her luscious, dark lips. I, I can't really stay, he began, returning his hand to the thick wedge of spineapple cream cake he had been tucking into. Nonsense. I'll call Donna Madrigal and explain you were helping me with something very important. You'll linger for brunch now, I'm sure. I won't tell her it was entirely frivolous in nature if you won't. She raised a perfectly sculpted eyebrow overtly. How's the work going? Ganny asked politely. These mysterious people from that other place. Is it true they're from the stars? This last word was spoken with a hushed reverence. Penny felt a little jolt of electricity curl up her spine to her neck. It's sideways, not up. She gestured expressively around with a finger. A brother world. Not one from all the way out there. Quite so, my curious babe. I've had a corker of a morning embroiled in our daily dealings with these interdimensional beings that I really can't say anything about. Wink. No, seriously, Project Binary Dawn is classified beyond the scraps I've fed Penny already. And you'd probably be fascinated by the whole thing. What they're like, how their culture differs from ours, their history, and their appalling monster problem. 
what they want from us and what we can garner from them as a little tit for tat. But we've had an influx of new staff at Aphrodite to cater to the increased workload. So many new faces. Donna put in a good word for another lady with paper bone, walks with a stick like she does, but so helpful. The physically disadvantaged really are such attentive workers, don't you find? They're so willing to push themselves to impress you. Anywho, the arrangements are finalizing and we're going through with the first trials and I simply cannot explain further. Now, Penny, sweetness, clearly you're- Cal clicked her fingers at the waiter, who hurried over as she continued. Dying to tell me everything about this morning. Darkest Cadamia infusion, slender, three sugar, three brunch menus, and how did the little girl enjoy her new watsit? The waiter blinked, nodded, and retreated. Well, began Penny, quickfire, without inhaling. It was a boy, and I was providing him with a new hand, and the reporter for the Tribune was there. And this is going to be very good public relations for Athena Corps, especially as the family was low mean. And I believe they were going to specifically highlight the extra care I took with the presentation and decoration, and Ganymede was incredibly helpful and supportive. Here she had to take a breath, and Calendula swooped in to pat her hand, indicating she could stop. But those almond eyes were still on Ganymede. That's a good medical mechanic and a very good girl. She purred. And thank you so much for assisting her, Ganny. You know, we really ought to talk about various ways we could advance your career beyond crystal munitions. Something in the private sector could set you up for far more bespoke services. I know plenty of high means professionals who would be exceptionally interested. Ganymede swallowed the last of his cake and attempted to politely dissuade. I'm quite happy doing the job I've got. Of course you are. And it's up to me to open your eyes to how we could make things so much better. A slender Cadamia Kefin was discreetly placed in front of her by the waiter, who left a thin, partially glazed, tastefully textured, dipping cookie balanced on the side of the saucer. Cal did not pause for breath. First off, I'm sure Penny has told you about the little deal I suggested to her. You told me it yourself. Marvellous! Then you're already on board. A stallion of potential renown to be shared by us in order that he advance his standing. I'm really not comfortable with... You would, of course, live far better than your current pittance allows. Cal's gloved hand reached out to lay insistently upon his chest. And once you're in our bed, I'll wager the penny will drop, so to speak, and you'll realize that all that hot, messy, sticky work you do each day, well, it'll be a different kind of hot and messy, but you'll get to shower more often. All you'd have to do is look pretty, smell ravishing, shop with our money to facilitate both of these things, and frock our brains out when we're in the mood. And the same goes for other sugar mommies I might introduce you to. I'm sure one of them might even get you set up with a little apartment of your own, so that would be one less thing to worry about. The hand raised up, and she ran her fingers over the side of his face. Mmm, these cinnamon cheeks. I could just bite them. I'm, um, uncomfortable with this too. Oh, you should have said something. I'd have been able to allay your fears. We all know I'm not into gentlemen. Penny continued, trying her level best not to say anything hurtful. Ganny, my dearest, I, I love you like a brother, but- Oh, Penny, my poor mouse, if you're still not into gentlemen, that's absolutely fine. You can simply watch the two of us together. At least I know I'll still be ringing your bells that way. And try as I might, I can't think of anything more stimulating. 
But if Ganymede is indeed interested, there is another rather significant element to discuss. Again, if neither Penny or I are comfortable... Which is the matter of offspring. Cal dropped the thunderbolt. It's no secret that while you're a fine physical specimen, no hymen lady is going to be seeking out your armless seed. So your hopes of a lineage lie, one assumes, in finding someone who doesn't mind. I myself have tried many times to convince Penny to have a child with me, and then I hit upon this brainwave. Cal! I'm talking, darling. Penny's wife responded, a tinge of sympathetic warmth coating the hardness of her tone. I'm trying to help you both understand the opportunities that lie before us. Ganymede, I want an entire child, so you'll have to keep your seed safely away from my fertile womb. Okay, firstly, this is not a hereditary condition. None of my parents, nor any of my six grandparents, were born missing limbs. And there's no reason to believe that a child of mine would- But it's common knowledge that there's a risk, and you won't be able to do anything about the assumptions of strangers. However, if I may continue- Her tone lowered and an earnestness crept into her voice just as she reached out to take both of their hands in hers. Just like Penny says, she has always cared about you a great deal. You have a history, and I plan to briefly employ some healthy male specimen and birth a little one myself regardless. So, rather than frittering away all chances of happiness together, how about we think of this in a more long-term fashion? Ganny, while Penny and I move ahead in our careers, what would you say regarding the prospects of raising my child along with a little one-armed whippersnapper who came from you two? Ganymede began to get up, but Cal once again pressed a hand to his chest at an angle which made it difficult for him to move. Now, sir... Please understand, this is merely an offer and a suggestion made in order to best secure the ongoing well-being of both you and of our dear Penny. Her gaze was steady, her tone serious. There may be no physical attraction while you're between her legs, but you'll be building something that can truly last longer than one of your suits of armor. And I do think you'd be a wonderful father, Ganny, I really do. Just think about it, all right? Ganymede looked across at Penny, who had gone even paler than usual. She avoided his glance, afraid to even apologize. This is a big change, and a lot to take in. I'm gonna need a bit of time, and even more space. Now his friend really did look at him, as the arrangements laid down, preposterous though they had seemed for so long, took on an air of potentiality. Calendula withdrew her hand from Ganny's chest and squeezed his left arm as she sipped from her cup and breathed in the rich aroma, her eyes drinking in the sight before her. You can go, she said magnanimously. I'll put in the call to explain your lateness. Do think about the future. The man stood, bowed courteously, and made his exit. He definitely likes being with ladies, though. I recall he was carrying on with that little chippy Celeste. What's she up to? Celeste died, said Penny quietly, her head lowered, her eyes locked upon her cooling Kevin. Last son. He was heartbroken. That is sad. But if he's not with anyone else right now, that leaves him eligible for all sorts of arrangements. Penny began to shake as tears streamed down her cheeks. Oh, there, there, soothed Cal, adjusting her seat 
and drawing her wife into a deep embrace. I'm speculating, my pet. We don't have to do anything you're not comfortable with. You do care for him greatly, don't you? Penny nodded, sobbing, her face buried in Cal's shoulder. And you know no other couple is going to want him for that sacred role. There was no nod at this. She simply held Cal tighter. I only want the best for you and your continual happiness no matter what. And if that means we make him ours, then so be it. Cal soothed decisively and straightened up. Now dry your eyes, that waiter is coming back and he's rather a dish. If we play our cards right, we could have him serve us in a few other ways. So don't let him see you cry. No gentleman wants a weeping mopper to stride him, do they? Penny pulled herself free, a maelstrom of warring responses all threatening to erupt from her at once. In the end, she said nothing of importance. There's a good girl. Calendula smiled and clicked her fingers up for service. They ate a brunch Penny could not taste, and Cal gave the waiter her card. been listening to episode three of Stone Spring Maidens, Trios, written, edited, and directed by Alexander Shaw. Blanche Manford Stokes, performed by Loretta Saylor. Calendula Renwick, performed by Sharon Shaw. Ganymede Ferron, performed by Felix Quist. Penthesily Renwick, performed by Theo Lee. Tess, performed by Victoria Luna B. Grieve. Amiel, performed by Maya Santandrea. Jace, performed by Orion Richardson, and Corin, performed by Willow Shaw. Make your decision by Dan Philipson of Shockwave Sound. Stone Spring Maiden's theme, Far Destiny, composed and performed by I. Sazanov of Shockwave Sound. The Machine Thinks, performed by Kevin McLeod of Incompetech.com. Highball, performed by Charles Redland and his orchestra. Washboard Wiggles, performed by Tiny Parham and his musicians. Solo Cello Passion, performed by Doug Maxwell. Many soundscapes including Mushroom Forest and Steampunk Station by Tabletop Audio. The New Century Multiverse is funded by Patreon. Our $15 sponsors get credit every episode, so thank you too. Aaron Lecluse, Abel Savard, Alex Outridge, Angus Lee, Benjamin Hoffer, Brian Novak, Cassandra Newman, Chris Finnick, Christopher Wolfe, Kieran Dashler, Connor Kennedy, Dan Mayer, Daniel Salguero, Dan Hepner, Dave Hickman, David Sheely, Duran Barnett, Finn Barnicol, Frankie Punzi, Greg Downing, Jameis Enright, Jesse Ferguson, Joe Crow, Joel Robinson, Johan Clayson, Joe G, Kat Esman, Kevin Vahey, Lorraine Chisholm, Mark Luksh, Marty Huey, Matthew A. Siebert, Matthew Webb, Michael Hasco, Sarah Montgomery, Tim Rosensky, Timothy Green, Toby Jungius, Tom Painter, Trey Contreras, and Valencia Burns. <laughs>